You may be seated. You know, every person and every family represented here today have at least one tradition in their life. It may be individual, it may be familial, it may be social, it may be athletic, it may be religious, or it might be work-related. We all have traditions. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 7 this morning. Mark chapter 7. The title of the message this morning is Stop Holding On So Tight. We're going to be looking, and I have a few other references up there uh, on the screen. We're not going to be looking at all those references, but those are uh, similar parallel passages. Uh, Specifically, Matthew 15 is very, very much a parallel passage to what we're looking at this morning. But we all have traditions, and I actually thought about, as I was preparing the message, I, I didn't want you all to leave, so I didn't do this, but I thought about you know, there's a famous musical that the entire song is about tradition. And I didn't want everyone to uh, start walking out of the auditorium if I started singing tradition from Fiddler on the Roof. Although it is kind of interesting that that song, that play does involve a bunch of Jewish individuals. But we all have tradition in life. Tradition is a part of life. When, if I were to ask for a definition, I'm sure we'd all come up with something specific. And so I, I have a few different definitions that I'm going to just mention here at the outset so that we kind of have our own, our, 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 a unified thinking on tradition. Um, and there's a couple Bible dictionaries that said, that one said this, it's a body of wisdom or received doctrines passed down and developed by his, a historical community. Another one, a Bible dictionary, said this, that which is, it's that which is handed down, particularly teaching handed down from a teacher to his disciples. And then Merriam-Webster had said this, said tradition is defined as an inherited, established, or customary pattern of thought, action, or behavior. Another way they put it is the handing down of information, beliefs, and customs by word of mouth or by example from one generation to another without written instruction. And then they even explain it a little bit more. Tradition is a set of customs, beliefs, or practices that are passed down from generation to generation. So lest lest you think that the service this morning is me preaching against tradition, that's not what the sermon is about this morning. Okay, I'm not saying that we get rid of all tradition. Because that's not even what the passage is talking about here. The passage that we're going to be looking at this morning is not talking about traditions are bad, that they're sinful, but that traditions, when placed above God and His Word, are sinful. So that's really the idea of the sermon this morning. That, and, and you know, we all carry traditions. What, what time of year is really the word tradition probably thrown around the most? It's Christmas, right? But you know, we have traditions all year round. Since I've been here, Jerry and Debbie have sat in the same seat. And I don't know how traditional that seat is for them in the 35 or 40, 50, 60 years they've been here. At least Jerry. You know, we all have 
traditions. In fact, as I look out, most people where you are sitting have been sitting in that general area since I've been here four and a half, about four and a half years now. See, we all have traditions. And so traditions aren't just something in a big scale thing. They're, they're, we do things traditional every single day of our life. And, and when the tradition, oftentimes, when there are struggles in a church is when our traditions start getting rubbed or maybe even left out or, or exited from. You know, we all have, I mean, we have a Christmas Eve service here. Some churches don't have that tradition. Is a Christmas Eve service bad? No, it's, it's a good tradition. So when you and I take a look, though, at the early church, the Jews had what is called the Mishnah, which was the oral tradition. It was what the religious leaders, the Pharisees, added through oral tradition. It wasn't actually written down and put on, I'll just say paper, I don't think it was genuinely paper in the second century, it was more like papyrus. But they wrote it down not until the second century, which tells me the Jews of the New Testament talk about an amazing memory. I mean, we can't remember half the... I mean, I, I was in school, I couldn't remember half the things they were telling me, and there weren't that many things I needed to follow. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on Mark, jotted, said this about the Mishnah. He said, The Mishnah, a compilation of Jewish oral laws, made at the end of the second century A.D., says this. He says, Tradition is a fence around the law. The reason for tradition, for the oral traditions that were set down, that why they established them was to be a fence around the law. So the purpose for why there was oral tradition, why the Pharisees, why the religious leaders came out with this was so that they actually wanted to protect the law. That was the original reason for why they did what they did. Now we know that God's law doesn't need protected. And we, when we see here, we'll see exactly what happens is that really this oral tradition became more important than God's word. See, the fencing of the law, though it began under good pretense, actually ended up producing some famous absurdities. And so I want you to see, you know, I, as I was studying for this, and, and I remember being in Bible college and seeing some of the traditional rules that they had. After reading the Mishnah, I don't feel bad anymore. So here's, here's some things. So in order to protect the Sabbath from being broken through inadvertent labor, the devout were given an amazing list of prohibitions. Here's, here's a couple of them. One, looking in the mirror was forbidden because if you looked in the mirror on the Sabbath day and saw gray hair, you might be tempted to pull it out and thus perform work on the Sabbath. You also could not wear your false teeth because if they fell out, you would have to pick them up and you would be working according to the Mishnah. The rabbis debated about a man with a wooden leg. If his home caught on fire, could he carry his wooden leg out of the house on the Sabbath? One could spit on the Sabbath, but you had to be careful where if it landed on the dirt and you scuffed it with your sandal, you would be cultivating the soil and thus performing work. If you were to read through a lot of the oral tradition, you would see a lot of ridiculous things. 
And honestly, we as Christians today, the church today, is not all that different. We have come up with traditions in our own lives, personally and corporately, that are kind of ridiculous. Now, I'm not here, I'm not going to get on a soapbox type thing and start going through the church history and, and bashing all of church history. That's not what the sermon's about today. But I do want us to think about this, that God's word is greater than tradition. God's word is greater than tradition. And we're going to look here what God had to say about all of this. We see that Jesus takes the Pharisees and the Jewish, Jewish leaders to task over their complete disregard for truth, both in their beliefs and actions. And so as we look at this narrative we're going to read here in just a moment, we will see a progression that these religious men had in their actions toward Jesus and the disciples. We're going to eventually see a progression at the end of this passage. We're going to be looking down through verse 13. That God's condemnation of their actions, we're going to see that. So there's just simply two points this morning. The first is that the Pharisees unbiblically accuse Jesus' disciples of being unclean. And I shortened the point for the slide. I also, but it, they did this. The Pharisees unbiblically accused Jesus' disciples of being unclean due to their failure to obey the tradition of the elders. Look, look at, let's look now at Mark 7, verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? Now the issue here is not being, what they are not going after the disciples because they were unclean in the sense of they didn't wash their hands before they ate. They forgot to use sanitizer or they forgot to use soap or whatever. It, and, and it was interesting in studying this, I, there's a lot of the, the law type stuff, the, the process of what it meant to clean their hands and, and it was a detailed thing. Like they would put their arms at a certain angle so the water would trickle down their arms at a certain to a certain point, and they, and they would scrub a certain amount of times. And if you think about the mission of the law, the, old, the, the oral tradition that, that the Pharisees are talking about here, can you imagine how much they'd be cleaning their hands? I mean, just going to the market, I mean, every time they would wash something, I mean, it was just constant washing. I mean, I'm surprised you'd even have skin left on your hands. We just came out of three years ago, a pen where everybody was washing their hands, whether they needed to be washed or not. I give my wife a hard time because we have sanitizer in the car one or two places. We have sanitizer in our purse. We have sanitizer everywhere. She puts it in my backpack before I go on flights, expecting me to use it. It comes back full. <laughs> so she can use it somewhere else. You know, we have all of these different things that we, we, we clean and, and the, the Pharisees are coming and accusing. Now, if we were to go back to Mark, Mark chapter 2, we see that Jesus and the disciples already broke tradition. The Pharisees are already upset at this point. 
I mean, they, they had to have been furious, and they're looking for opportunity to what? To get out, to, to, to have some charge against Christ. And they come to him, and, and uh, there's different passages, and, and Christ responds differently in different passages to them. Here in this passage, I don't think the Pharisees were ready for it. You know, there are many times where Jesus kind of responds in a, in a softer tone. But boy, did Jesus let them have it in this passage. So we see here an accusation that is made by the Pharisees. This accusation takes place a little after they, as I mentioned, if you, um, Mark 2.23 says this, And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. They were most likely furious with him here and wanted to as often as, as they could to try to trip Jesus into incorrect answers, to prove him wrong. The problem with their plan was that they were going up against Christ. God's Son. And so we see again, the tradition and law were what they were dealing with was oral law that was written in the Mishnah. And at this point, it was all oral tradition. And so, can you see really the problem that is happening here? We have the Pharisees, they are elevating something really above where it needs to be, it should be. Now, having a tradition that you need to wash your hands before you do something. Is that wrong? Is that a bad idea? No. But what the Pharisees were doing was they were elevating this to a level that if you weren't doing this, you weren't holy. If you weren't doing this, you were sinning. The Jewish leaders had put their own oral tradition ahead of God's authority and in this specific case, the Old Testament Mosaic Law. In fact, the accusation had nothing to do with the Mosaic Law, but rather the tradition of the elders. There is nothing in the Mosaic Law that said they couldn't, that, against what this oral tradition was saying. There's nothing in the Mosaic Law that said they couldn't do this. The disciples were not breaking anything in the Mosaic Law. But the Pharisees did not like the fact that they were going against oral tradition, against what they had set up. So we would all agree that purity and holiness are important and necessary. In fact, uh, not next, next Sunday morning, but the following Sunday morning, um, we'll actually look at the end of the, the, the last part of, in verses 14 through 23, I'm going to be preaching something different next week, uh, next Sunday morning. But we'll finish this passage, uh, this thought, next week and really get into what, how God describes what is holy, what is clean, what is, what, is, what is wicked, what is dirty. And that's in verses 14 through 23. But back in these first five verses, the Jews were washing all the time. In fact, the Mishnah spends 35 pages on washing dishes or things like it. Although it does sound like a lot of manuals that come with dishwashers today. Their commitment revealed their hearts of which were highly pious, self-righteous, and they were too obnoxious because they were the righteous and spiritual ones. They thought they understood. They set the rules. They set what was righteous. Righteous. 
These Pharisees so badly wanted to ruin Jesus. With these traditions and the others, the Pharisees wanted to see the Jews stay not clean with hygiene, but they did want, but it was really a ritual purity. It was a, a, a ritual religion. It was really religious tradition. It wasn't biblical truth. So what about you? What about me? What traditions are in our lives uh, that we could identify in our life this morning? What are the traditions in your life? Again, just going simply back up to what is tradition? How are we defining tradition? It's defined as an inherited, established, or customary pattern of thought, action, or behavior. Many of us take the same route to work. Many of us, you can come up with many traditions that we have in our lives. But what are your traditions leading you to live like? Are your traditions being relied on to carry forth this a status symbol? Can you give scriptural evidence to your traditions? Are your traditions core to biblical truth? The opposite of what the Pharisees were doing. And so the Pharisees that make an accusation here as we're looking at this narrative, and really we have more application as, at, towards the end of it today. But as we're looking at this narrative, we see that in verses 6 through 8, we see the Pharisees' true character revealed through a corrupt heart because we see the condemnation of Christ towards them here in verses 6 through 8. Let's look at them. And really down all the way down into verse 13. And Jesus said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. So the first thing that he does is he goes directly to the Old Testament prophets. Something that the Pharisees knew <coughs> Excuse me. Something that they knew. And what does he do? He quotes from Isaiah and says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do, do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He here responds immediately and is telling the Pharisees that they are the ones who honor with only their lips and with empty worship. How many of you like being told you're wrong? How many of you like being told that your whole way of thinking and, and how you, really your, your moral system, your moral code is wrong? That the way you worship God is wrong? It's exactly what Jesus is doing to the Pharisees. You can imagine just this narrative of the Pharisees getting so mad. What does he say about them here? Well, first of all, what's a hypocrite? When we think about a hypocrite, I, growing up, I always heard hypocrisy or a hypocrite is someone who acts different, their actions speak, are different than their words. As I started diving into the word that is used for the word hypocrite, it really is this idea of a play actor or a pretender. It's not, it's not just simply that I do something that I different from what I say. It's literally, I am, I am I'm a play actor. I'm playing a totally different part. I'm doing something that's not real. In the 90s and early 2000s, 
there's a TV show with this, the very title Pretender in it. And, they, and the main character was intelligent and would go around and could become anything he wanted to be, basically. He would learn things in a heartbeat and become an air, a, a pilot or he'd become a, a, a scientist or a biologist and different things like that and you go around helping people. But it's interesting through the show that he never fully understood who he really was. See, a, a hypocrite is someone who says one thing and does another. It's, it's someone who is, is pretending. They aren't, they're, they're, they're being fake. See, Jesus is calling the Pharisees a pretender. They, they, they put on a righteous. To the average person in the street, they looked spiritual. They, they sounded righteous. They sounded like they, they wanted to follow God. They said a lot of the right things. But it was all empty worship, God says. Because they were teaching the doctrines of men, the precepts of men, at the level of the, God's word. Christian, in what ways are you pretending this morning? How may we even as a church body be allowing tradition to keep us from living biblically and righteously? Where have we perhaps elevated and taught the precepts of men as doctrinal truths? We'll come back to some of this this thought in in a moment. But Jesus begins to lay out a progression that is present in how the Pharisees elevated tradition over God's word. Look at what they did. First, they began to teach the doctrines of men at the same level of Scripture. Which was followed then, look at verse 8, by neglecting the commandment of God. See, when you begin to teach something else and you raise something else, tradition or whatever, at the same level of Scripture, you begin to neglect Scripture. It's not that you, you don't believe it. It's not that you think it's wrong. You begin to neglect it. Because what you're teaching becomes primary. And not only that, it, it's really a neglecting, a setting aside, and then it, and you begin to hold more to the tradition of men. And then we see the progression goes deeper to where they eventually reject God's word. Look at verse 9. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside. And, and the word here that, that is used is really the idea of rejection. And why do they reject him? What, why does, what is Jesus saying to them? He's saying, you are experts at rejecting the commandment of God. Why? In order to keep your tradition. If we're not careful, we can begin to reject biblical truth for our own thoughts, our own traditions, the way we think the Christian life should be. The way we think church should be. Not the way God tells us to live. But how we think it should go.
One individual said this. He said, people who revere man-made traditions above the word of God eventually lose the power of God's word in their lives. The Mishnah even said this about itself. It is a greater offense to teach anything contrary to the voice of the rabbis than to contradict scripture itself. Now, before we criticize our Jewish friends, really we need to think and examine our own lives. Examine our own, our own church. See, the ultimate authority for spiritual life is Scripture. It is God. And if there's a conflict between tradition and Scripture, Scripture should win every time. And yet, all too often, sometimes, we don't even consider biblical truth when it comes to our traditions. So what about us? As we've looked at this narrative, we see in verse 13, we see God's word invalidated. Look at verse 13, it says, Thus invalidating, you no longer permit him. And he uses an illustration here of of the command, honor your father and your mother. And he tells them that here in this passage, he's telling them the idea that if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have, so it's really in, within the oral tradition, they could actually, it was written in there that they could claim Corbin. If you're in uh, Adam's class, I don't know what class this was, but I know he talked about it for a while. I think it was on Christ if I remember right. But the word Corbin meant a gift to God. And I, as I was thinking through this, really this was a way that they got around fulfilling the fifth commandment. They would claim, because their responsibility, really the idea of honoring your father and mother, if you were to look at, dive into this, it was that the, the younger that the children were to honor their father and mothers by helping take care of them in their old age. It was part of what, their responsibility. And, and Jesus is saying, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have, this is what they've been, the, the oral tradition said, whatever I have that would help you is Corbin. That is to say, given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother. In other words, they could get around taking care of him by saying, well, this is just a gift that I've dedicated to God. And they couldn't have, they, the parents couldn't get that. And what does Jesus say? By doing this, you thus invalidate the word of God by your tradition which you have handed down and you do many things such as that. It's like, this isn't the only thing that you do. So we as Christians struggle and fail in the same way. We have allowed tradition to run our lives too much. So remember, our tradition is, is an inherited, established, or customary pattern of thought, action, or behavior, such as religious practice or a social custom. It's the handing down of information, beliefs, and customs by word of mouth or by example from one generation to another without written instruction. As we seek to understand this idea of tradition and how, because are there passages of Scripture that actually tell us to hold to tradition? There actually are. 
Now Matthew 15, 1-9, a parallel passage to this, actually speaks of negatively, again, of holding to the tradition of men. 1 Corinthians 11, 2 says this, Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions, just as I delivered them to you. That's Paul writing to the church at Corinth. What is he actually talking about there? He's talking about the, the traditions he delivered them is the gospel. It's the message of the gospel. It's the, the, the living the gospel out. Does that supersede Scripture? No, that is Scripture. That is how we are to live. Galatians 1.14, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond. This is Paul giving testimony of him and of himself. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Again, speaking of what? The tradition of the Pharisees, the tradition of men, the tradition of the elders. A wrong kind of holding. And Paul goes on in that passage and said, this is what God saved me from. Colossians 2.8, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men. If we didn't struggle with this ourselves today, why would Scripture be telling us to avoid it? And not to be brought captive by it. According to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. And 2 Thessalonians 3.6, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received from us. Again, we live out the tradition of the gospel. So again, what about us? What are we holding on to? What about personally? Look at two different areas, personal and corporate. What about personally? What about a position on how one dresses? We all have hold to a tradition and think about how a certain person should dress. Mark would have been more appropriate to be up here preaching 35 years ago than me because he has a white dress shirt on, according to human tradition. I would even say, yeah, 35, 40 years ago, when my grandfather was a pastor... And those of you who would have been in saw how many times do you see someone speak, preach with something other than a white dress shirt? And were there people who thought that that was wrong if you preached with something other than a white dress shirt? Yes. I'm glad I came along later in life. Just kidding. That's not right. That's not biblical. I'm using something silly, okay? I don't want to step on your toes too heavy this morning. And I don't want you to miss, because if I use too many specific illustrations, you miss the point, and you focus on the issue. What about the time one eats dinner? Have you ever told somebody else, a friend or whatever, like, I can't believe you eat dinner at that time? And you almost look like, what? We all have traditions, right? Celebration of Christmas, where one goes to school. Church attendance, how often. Denomination of which you go to. Come back next Sunday evening and we'll talk about denominations for our spiritual family night. Occupation. You know, people would say that I am a pastor because my whole family, both my grandfathers, I just followed the tradition of being a pastor. 
I guess you could argue that. I would disagree with you. But it certainly looks that way, right? Both grandfathers were pastors. My dad's a pastor. Just makes, oh, he, tradition, he followed the tradition of his forefathers. See, we ought to always be handing down the tradition of the gospel, but what we can never do is elevate our human tradition to the level of the gospel and the whole counsel of God's word. We not only struggle with it on a personal level, but we struggle with it on a corporate level as well. A big one. Worship style. Now, I'm not going to dive into a message on worship this morning. Because I want to still be the assistant pastor when, I get, when Dwight gets back. I'll let him deal with that. But if we're honest with ourselves... Within the church today, a lot of the disagreements on worship style come down to tradition. Are there right and wrong ways of doing things? Yes. But much of it does come down to tradition. That's why many, that's why we're in this church, right? What about ministries of the church? the different aspects of the church. Some churches have certain things, traditionally. The way we serve, I saw this quote posted. It's a quote by Tim Challies uh, in his article, 32 Random Thoughts About the Local Church. He said this, Few people want to be part of a church that doesn't pray. But few people want to attend a prayer meeting. You should ponder this conundrum. And I'm not just, I don't think he's just talking about a Wednesday night. If we had a prayer day here at church for two hours on a Saturday, three hours on a Saturday, how many would show up? But we don't want to be a part of a church that doesn't pray. Well, I pray at home. There's an aspect of corporate prayer that is important. If we're not careful, we can all be pretenders in some way, shape, or form. You know, this afternoon, over 65,000 people will be living out the tradition of watching their sports teams. I remember when I pastored in Illinois, there were a few individuals that, huge Cardinals fans, it didn't matter if it was an important game, they'd skip the service. And they wouldn't mind letting me know it. <laughs> That's elevating tradition. Is there anything wrong with having a tradition of going to having season tickets and, and going to sports, sporting events? No. But when you elevate that above God, above his word, above the gathering together of believers that he has mandated for us, it's wrong. And I'm not here to speak... Again, it's just, I'm not, it's just an illustration to get us and think about how many thousands of people get excited about a sporting event like that. Where do we hold our traditions? The problem with the Pharisees in this passage was that they were and did do away all too often with the Word of God altogether. 
When we let tradition drive our lives in the life of our church, we are like those who claim Corbin and no longer permit the truth to work. God will not honor a church of pretenders, of people playing the part of a church member. God's commands matter, and righteousness is not living according to my own tradition and way of doing life, but according to God's word. We should be a ministry that is about God's word, not about how we think God's word should tell, how we should live. It's about what God tells us and how he tells us to live. Our actions must be aligned with God's word. When God's word leads to change, then we change. And I'll share more about the, the conference that I was at this last week, but I, my heart was blessed. There were sad moments, t- tears, the, a big theme of it was lament how to deal with loss. God, I heard testimony of God changing people. Really, things happening that would change a church, that would rattle a church. How are we going to respond? If God is seeking to do the change, why are we so resistant to the change? In our own lives, spiritually, We need to stop holding on so tight to the things that we want, the things, to the order of our lives. Because the big idea here is the idea of the art, the, really the, the, the dichotomy is cleanness, true view of cleanness and uncleanness. This is really the, the law that they were dealing with. So, Christian, where are you this morning? Personally, this passage has made me evaluate what traditions in my life I have elevated above truth. I'll be honest. It, uh, I'll just be transparent with you guys. It's, it's tough having a Christmas Eve service here for me. My family's not here. So we have to travel to go see our family. And in my flesh, there are times I don't want to be here. It's hard. I'm just being transparent this morning. Now, I'm not sad that I'm here. I love all of you. I love our church. But it's hard. But praise God. He's called us to serve each other. And it would be wrong for me to choose my family going traveling Every time over, being here, worshiping with the church family God's called me to worship with, aside from the fact that I'm the pastor, that I'm just a member of this church, that God has ordained me to be a part of. But even in my spirit, it's still wrong for me to elevate in my mind, how come I have to stay here again? Can't I just be with my family? How many of you have things like that in your life? Because we know that God is greater than tradition. So let's not neglect God's word. God's word is how we live out God's tradition. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. 
Lord, I pray that we would not be people who hold on to things too tightly. We've come up with a, we've, we've defined a term as, as Christians to describe our growth in you, and that's called progressive sanctification. And we use that word progressive, Lord, to, to illustrate that it is a step-by-step, it's, a, it's an ongoing process of becoming like you. So there are, there are going to be changes in our lives, changes to tradition, things that we have always done. May we be willing to change as you lead us to change. So that the things that we're holding on to too tightly that are keeping us from serving you like you want us to serve you, that we would be free from those things so that we could serve you as you desire. So we praise you and we thank you for who you are and it is in your name we pray. Amen.